Okay. So ladies, we're coming to the end of Shemona Esrei and Baruch Hashem, the Mishnah in Pirkei uh, Avos this week. As you know, we're learning Pirkei Avos every week as we go towards our climb, as we count the Omer, as we're climbing towards Har Sinai and uh, our acceptance of the Torah. We're working on refining our character traits, on polishing ourselves every step of the way. And each week, of course, represents a different... Um, a different mida, a different character, uh, part of our characters that is more easier, easily accessed during that week. But first of all, interestingly, I was just looking at Pirkei Avos, which we also learned uh, during this time, and it had something on prayer. So I figured this would be a good time to mention it. It says, when you pray, do not make your prayer a set routine, but rather beg for compassion and supplication before God, as it is said, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in kindness, and relentful of punishment. So just a reminder for all of us, again, because hopefully, I'm hoping that through this class, either those of you who have never prayed um, in any kind of consistent way or from a sitter, that hopefully this has motivated you to begin prayer prayer. And of course, the rabbis teach us that prayer without kavana, right? Prayer without inner intention or um, passion or directing our prayers uh, to the one who can, you know, give us what we need is like likened to a body without a soul. So we want to try and inflame our passions. Like I said at the very beginning of the series, you know, that's why men shuffle back and forth. It's like, by the external movement of the body, it's trying to give the internal part of ourselves the message that we should be on fire, right? Last week, we talked about how prayer replaces the sacrifices and any of the references to Aish, which normally would, would refer to sacrifices. Now with prayer, God is saying, I want the fire within you to be aroused. I want you to get passionate. I want you to realize that your words matter, that I'm listening, that when you get involved in your prayer and you don't make it fixed, like the rabbis say, just by rote, you know, okay, another thing I have to do today, great, done, done, check that off, but rather you really make it part of you. And you'll see that it, it just continues to grow. It becomes, uh, it's like, you know, you're continuing the conversation every day. You, were, you had to stop in the middle. You had to get off the phone, so to speak, right? But you want to continue the conversation. And that's how you want to see your, 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 your standing in front of Hashem every day at Shimon Esrei. Okay, so we spoke a little bit about the prayer, Modim Anach Nulach which is a prayer where we bow down. For those of you technically who need to know that, we bow down at the word modim, which we're saying we thank you, Hashem, right? Yeah, we thank you, you who is the God and the God of our fathers. Um, and we actually raise ourselves up when we say Hashem's name, because I said also at the beginning of the series that when we stand in front of Hashem, we don't get down on the floor like other religions, we don't kneel, but actually, when we actually say Hashem's name, we stand upright to, so to speak, recognize that the greatness of a human being is that our minds 
help us to be cognizant of Hashem, to ask questions, you know, who created this world? Who created me? What's it all about? What's the purpose of life? You know, you know, how do my thoughts affect how I'm going to live my life, etc. So the fact that God gave us this mind and this ability to speak and made us little less than the angels, as it says, we stand up straight when we say Hashem's name. We don't bow at that time. So that's when you stand up straight. And um, and then you bow again at the end of the bracha, right? When we get to Baruch Atah Hashem, Hatov Shimcha Ulechana Elahodos. But any sitter, any art school sitter will tell you what to do. Okay, so um, where do I want to begin? So today's the 21st day of the Omer. For those of you who uh, didn't know or you haven't counted, today is the 21st day of the Omer. We're uh, 30, well, 29 days away from Shavuos now. And this week has been all about beauty, Tiferes. For those of you who've listened to other classes, you know that Tiferes is the perfect harmony between Chesed and Gevura. When Chesed and Gevura are properly balanced, represented by Avraham and Yitzchak, they result in Yaakov, right? The perfect balance of, uh, of truth, of, of exercising chesed in the right way at the right time, of restraining oneself in situations that need you to say no instead of yes. And then, of course, we said very simply, there are situations where you should be saying yes when you'd like to say no. And this is a struggle that we all have to try and find that beautiful path, that balanced path, which is called Tiferis and is likened to Yaakov Avinu, who had 12 perfect sons. All of them stayed, you know, on the derech. We are, we, we come from all of them. And so um, beauty, but I read something beautiful on one of the thick chats that I got about, you know, what we want to do today and is to real is to notice the beauty around us. You know, now in Toronto, I heard there's snow coming, but I hope that's not true. But even if snow comes, I mean, you've still got buds on the magnolia trees are 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 almost there. There's so much beauty going on now. I know in Toronto, Baruch Hashem, because it's spring and it's one of the most beautiful times of year there. So to notice the beauty and to be beautiful, one of the um, advice that they give in today's sphera is to consciously tell yourself to smile because whoever walks into a room with a smile on their face, they literally light up the room. You know, I remember when I was an adolescent, my mother had something pinned to the fridge and it, you know, it, it said the best thing that you can wear this year is a smile. You know, It was supposed to be a tip on fashion. But it was basically saying that, uh, you know, a smile is beauty. It's, it's giving beauty to others. Your smile lights up the world and it makes the world more beautiful. You know, my mother used to say this little ditty, my face, I don't mind it. It's because I'm behind it. It's people in front get the jar. <laughs> so, you know, we say in Judaism, your face is public property. It doesn't belong to you. So make sure that it's beautiful. Make sure that it has a smile on it. And then I just want to read to you from a book. Uh, I, guess, I guess it's a book on Sherlock Holmes. And there's a little quote here under the uh, sphere of Tiferes. A quote from this book, which is basically talking about Hashem 
and how Hashem goes the extra mile, so to speak, of making our world beautiful. So it goes like this. What a lovely thing a rose is. He walked past the couch to the open window and held up the drooping stalk of a moss rose, looking down at the dainty blend of crimson and green. Our highest assurance of the goodness of providence, or God, we would say Hashem, seems to me to rest in the flowers. All other things, our powers, our desires, our food, are all really necessary for our existence in the first instance. But this rose is an extra. Its smell and its color are an embellishment of life, not a condition of it. It is only goodness which gives extras. So I just thought that was a beautiful way of describing that Hashem wants to give us extras, right? Like they all, Rabbi Victor Miller said, he could have made food all the same color, fruit all the same color. He could have made all the flowers the same color, but the details that are involved in giving us pleasure, in giving us those extras is part of what we need to notice when we're working on beauty. So um, again, this section of the Shemona Esrei, th thanking Hashem is how we take leave of our master. And we're thanking him because we're like basically saying that we expect that our requests are going to be answered. We know that you are the one that can answer us and we're thanking you in advance. Now we know that we, one of the caveats that people put at the end of their prayer when they ask for something is, Hashem, give it to me, Litova, right? If it's good for me. If it's not good for me, even though I might think it is, right? We know that Hashem will not give it to us. And that's one of the way that we um, come to terms with the fact that we don't always get what we want or that Hashem sometimes does say no. And of course, it's very difficult for us to understand that, especially when we're in a situation of extreme pain and struggle and challenge. You know, why would a loving father say no when it seems so clear or when we would say, but, you know, he wants, he wants to help us. He wants to save us. So that's always a dichotomy. That's always something that we have to struggle with that at the same time that we know Hashem is good. We know that a lot of times things don't feel good and we're in a process, like we said, but we actually have a saying in the Gemara that says you're supposed to thank Hashem equally for the bad and for the good. And I actually have a little prayer here that a woman in Borough Park, well, I stayed there at her house and she gave me, I don't know, a hundred of these. You can't see them. Okay. Anyway, it's just a little thing that people can say every day, because one of the things that we said is the more you thank Hashem, the more Hashem wants to give to you. And we likened it to the kid. You know, you got all these kids and there's one kid who's very grateful who always says thank you, who always appreciates what you do for them and voices it. So that kid is easy to give to. You just naturally think of them first. You want to give to them because there's hakaras hatov. There's recognition of the good. And this is the mark of a Jew. We're called Yehudim. We're called Jews because it comes from the word toda, because the basis and foundation of all of Yiddishkeit, you know, you can't get to first base without Hakara Satov, without 
appreciating and acknowledging the good, not only that Hashem does for you with every breath that you take, but of course, all the people in your world that Hashem sends as a shaliach to bring you good into your world. So in this prayer, not only do we thank Hashem for the good, including every single breath, the chol rega verega, toda al nishima nishima shani no shema, right? Thank you, but we even, toda l'chashikasheli l'famim. Thank you for the times when it's difficult for me. Toda when I'm a little bit sad, that I'm sad many times, because I know that everything letovati, everything is for my good, even though I don't see that it's for my good. But I know deep in my heart that everything that happens to me is coming from you and it's a good thing. And it's especially tailor-made for me, the hashkacha pratit, with divine providence, miduyeket, right? With incredible detail. You always hit the target. You always hit the bullseye, Hashem. Umishulemet, it's complete. It's, it's exactly what I need. And only you, Hashem, would be able to do this, would be able to know what I need, okay? So again, it goes on to say, that it's sometimes hard for me, but I know that it's only when I'm in the darkness that I learn how to appreciate the light. David HaMelech himself said that, had I not sat in the darkness, I would not know the light, and it's only after I've been in some darkness that it's possible for me to really and truly appreciate the light. And then it goes on to talk about all the, the, the nifla'im and, 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 and all the wonders that Hashem that you do for me, which is what this prayer talks about. So it says, Modima Nachnulach. We, we thank you, Sheatahu Hashem that you are our God and the God of our fathers, the Olam Va'ed. We are your people forever. We have a bris with you, a covenant with you. If anyone wants that tefillah, Sarah Brown is offering them. She can leave them on her front porch. This tefillah on saying thank you to Hashem every day. I like to say it before I light the candles in the morning on Shabbos. Or, you know, whenever I, I remember, but it's something you could say every day. It's a great reminder. So, and in New York, I'm sure they're available, but I can, well, I know the woman, well, whatever, we'll talk about that after. Okay, so when we ask Hashem for good, when we're saying thank you to Hashem, we know that we want our request to be answered with Tova. Just a little quote that I discovered, I don't know where it's from, but it says, all is good in the end. And if it's not good, then it means we're not at the end. It's not the end of the story. And we know that the end does not mean in this world alone. We don't see it in this world. Now, many times we do. Many times we do see the end in this world. And this helps us know that it's going to be good in the, in the eternal end as well. Because many times we see we see something that we thought was terrible, right? Turn out good. As a matter of fact, I once read, I think it was Rav Chaim Shmulevitz who said, the reason that you stand up for older people, not just Jewish people, but all older people, is because they've lived long enough to have seen time and time again in their life 
that something that they thought was horrible and terrible at the moment actually turned out to be a windfall, to be better than what they were running after. You know, they got a better job and that job fell through at the time. They thought this was, you know, a negative thing, but it turned into a positive thing. And for that alone, we stand up for older people because they've seen this happen. Over, Isn't that a beautiful idea? Because they've seen this happen. And young people, they don't have the, 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 the stretch behind them to be able to have had those experiences again and again. Okay, so, um, and we, you know, just to go back about being thankful and being grateful, we said that the word thanks, lehodot, comes from the same root as the word to admit. That's why saying thank you is so difficult for human beings. And as I said in last class, you know, a kid comes into this world, it's like all of his needs are taken care of, right? For the first two, three years, you're thirsty here, bottle stuck in his mouth. You're dirty, here's your diaper. You need to be held, you're crying. And then all of a sudden the tables are turned. And, you know, as soon as they can start speaking, we start saying to them, did you say thank you? You need to say thank you. Don't forget to say thank you. And we have to drill it into them because it's like, what do you mean? Why do I have to say thank you? Magili, you know, all of a sudden I have to say thank you. I have to admit that you you did something for me. So this goes against human nature. So we have to work on it again and again and again. Okay. Um, this bracha talks about two types of, well, you know what? Let me go through it in chronological order. So it says, so Hashem, you're our God forever, right? We know that the Jewish people and God are like this. We can never get divorced, right? The wedding took place at Mount Sinai. The covenant means this is a wedding where there's no such thing as divorce. Now we know that the Jewish nation has had many adulterous relationships throughout Jewish history with other gods, with other isms, whatever it is of that generation. But God basically over and over again says, I'm still here. I haven't moved. You know, and many times when we have these adulterous relationships, we decide that God doesn't want us anymore, that we've lost our relationship, that we've destroyed it. But God over and over again says, no, I'm still here. I haven't moved. Come back. When you're finished with all those adulterous relationships, realize I haven't moved. You're the one who moved. This is a relationship forever. Sur Chayenu. You're the rock of our lives. What does it mean when we say the word rock? We're saying that Hashem lifts us up out of danger, even when we're unaware of it, and places us atop a mountain fortress, right? The word sur and mountain rock. Okay, he protects us in two ways. And magen yishena was another way that he protects us. He exposes us to danger. We may know that we're in danger, just like at the beginning of Shemona Esther, we talk about Hashem, Melech, Ozer, Umoshia, Umagain, right? He, he, we see the danger and he rescues us, us from it. Just by the way, the word Modim equals 100 in Gematria, the numerical value of the word Modim, which is not a coincidence because we're supposed to say 100 brachas a day. Okay, if a person starts in the morning with, with tefillah and going through the sitter and just saying their brachas every day, Baruch Hashem, I was able to say the bracha, if you haven't seen the ocean, in 30 days, I believe it is. 
you're able to say the bracha, blessed are you, Hashem, our God, who created the Yam HaGadol, the beautiful ocean, the beautiful sea. So there's so many brachas. You can say a bracha when you smell a flower. All of you have a bracha, if you didn't say it now, to go out and look at a blossoming fruit tree. You have a bracha that you can say, okay, to thank Hashem for all of the beautiful things that he created in this world to give us pleasure. So the hundredth psalm in Tehillim is a psalm called Mizmor Latoda, which we say every day, right? Mizmor Latoda Harila Shem Kol. Where is it? Hold on. Mizmor Latoda Harila Shem Kol Haaretz Ibdu Es Hashem Basimcha. Right? It's a little tiny Tehillim that says a psalm of thanksgiving. Call out to Hashem, everyone on earth. Serve Hashem with gladness. Come before him with joyous song. Know that Hashem is our God. He made us and we are his. We're his people and the sheep of the, his pasture, etc., etc. Hashem is good. His kindness endures forever. From generation to generation is his faithfulness, is his promises. Okay, so we say that bracha, it's the hundredth bracha. At, I mean, not Tehillim, it's the hundredth Tehillim and it's part of our morning davening. If you look at the words of the morning davening before we even get to Shemona Esri, I think that the two themes are just running through the whole davening. One is bitachon, right? Something that we've discussed, trusting in Hashem, knowing that even when we don't understand, he knows what he's doing. That's why he got the job, you know? And we're going to talk further on about acceptance and accepting whatever is in our lives, right? Even difficult and things that don't make any sense to us, but that's part of the work of gratitude because how can we be totally grateful when there are things that we are questioning all the time and there are things that we are not happy about and we want them to be different. It's hard for us to say thank you with a full heart when we've got all of that going on. But that's Judaism. Judaism is a dialectic. Judaism is walking that middle path, taking two extreme opposites, right? Being grateful at the same time that you recognize your challenges, having bitachon and Hashem at the same time that you feel fear, right? Yaakov Avinu had bitachon, but he was afraid when Asa was coming to get him. So we always are trying to reconcile these two seeming polar opposites and walk that path of Tiferis. And it's a constant struggle. And that's why Judaism is a dialectic, meaning it takes two opposing ideas and asks you to reconcile them and live with both of them and embrace all of it. That is Hashem Echad, right? We cover our eyes because with our physical eyes, we say, what? How can we put this together? How can this be from Hashem, right? Which is why other religions say, oh, there's another force that's in charge of the negative, right? And God is only in charge of the good stuff. No, Judaism says all of it, and it's all good. And that's the hard work. And that's why we cover our eyes, because everything looks like a duality in this world. And yet... We say, no, it's all one. It's all coming from a place of oneness and it's all good. Okay, we're going to talk more about that. So we're going to talk about all the kindnesses that you do. We're going to praise you. Oh, I, was, I said the first thing that is in all this davening is bitachon, but the second thing that is 
the davening is full of is thanks, right? Gratitude, praising Hashem for all the good that he does, for all the kindness that he does. Your world was built on kindness. You're just a constant giver. The flow is just to want to give. Why do we sometimes not receive it? Because through our own actions, we block it up. We stop the flow, right? It's like a pipe that gets blocked up. But the flow is always coming, the faucet's on, but something's stopping the water from coming out. Or sometimes the flow is coming and it's not the way we want it. So we have to readjust. Okay. We're going to talk more about that. The other idea is that, you know, where did this idea come from that we're supposed to say a hundred brachas a day? It comes from David HaMelech. There was a certain time during his life where there was a plague and it was taking a hundred people's lives a day. So David HaMelech instituted Keneged this to fight this. Maybe that's what we need during the coronavirus. I don't know how many brachas a day, a hundred brachas a day. And as soon as the people started doing that, the plague stopped. Okay. The messages, the spiritual messages were much uh, more clear in those days. People lived on a much different level of God's omnipresence and presence than we do today. Okay. Um, there was a great rabbi, Ziskin, who wrote an ethical will to his children. And he recorded how every line of the Amida prayer made him realize all the kindnesses that Hashem does for him. Because everything that we say in the Amida, in the Shemona Esrei, we're basically talking about Hashem. You're the one who gives us wisdom. You're the one who gives us the ability to be forgiven. You're the one who gives us Parnassa. You're the one who gives us help. And so he told his children, Go even further than that. Thank God every time you need the simplest utensil and you find it. A knife, a spoon, a table, a chair, right? Have you ever been somewhere where there's no chairs anywhere and, all of a sudden, and you want to sit down, you know, and you find that chair, you know, and, and you sit on it and you're like, wow, a chair, you know? But of course, we take so many things for granted. So he taught his children, this was his, his ethical will. He says, nothing is too insignificant to thank him for. And we say in this bracha, um, we talk about different kinds of nisim, right? We say, um, we're going to talk about your praises, about our life that you gave us, that's, that's in your hand, about our neshamas that you, you know, take care of. And all your miracles, from the word miracles, right? That are with us every single day. So we know there's two types of miracles, right? We know there's nisim nigla, open miracles, like, you know, the splitting of the sea and the water standing up. A miracle that says, wow, Zekeliva Anvehu, there is certainly a God because nobody else could do this. Now, Judaism doesn't put a lot of stock in these kind of miracles because the nature of human beings are they're very wowed and odd, maybe for a week, two weeks, a month, but then they go back to business as usual. But the other kind of miracles, which are the ones that require work on our part, are appreciating the everyday miracles. 
And I actually found a little blurb from my daughter who works for NCSY. I guess she gave this. Uh, I guess she gave this to some of the teenagers. But I'll just quickly read it to you because it expresses this idea. She says, a husband comes home from work and finds the house a mess. The kids are dirty and starving. No dinner is made. He finds his wife in bed reading a book. He yells at her and says, what do you do all day? She says, what you see right now is the result of my not doing what I do all day. You only notice when I stop doing what I do, but you never appreciate what I'm actually doing. So she goes on to say that in the Torah, when it talks about the episode of the splitting of the sea, it says the sea split and the Jews walked through dry land. So the question is, why does the Torah have to tell us that the Jews walked through dry land? Well, obviously they had to walk somehow. They weren't swimming. So she said, because dry land was just as much of a miracle as the splitting of the sea. What's the purpose of great miracles like splitting of the sea? It's so you realize that you are, you have the ability to walk on, your ability to walk on dry land any other day is just as big of a miracle. But you only notice it when something is not normal. Okay, you notice that God made the land dry when something is out of whack. But do you notice it when you say the bracha every morning, Rokaha Aretz Al Hamayim, that you are able to stand on, on, on firm ground every day? So the idea here, again, is that the sea will not split forever. But when it does, the hope is that you will remember the effect. The hope is that you will remember that the dry land is there for you every single day. So these are the nisim that we need to take note of in terms of developing our uh, attitude of gratitude, that muscle, become connoisseurs of noticing the beauty around us and the everyday mundane. You know, I used to call it, um, you know, I went through a very difficult illness in my younger years. And I remember I, I termed it the, the um, what was it called? The miraculous mundane or the, um, yeah, the miraculous mundane, just being able to come back to life again, recognizing how we don't take, we shouldn't take anything for granted. Okay, we also say here in this prayer, we're saying that we always put our hope in you, right? First of all, before that, we say that your kindnesses are never finished. We said when it comes to human beings, they can give and they can give and they can give, but eventually you say, that's it. I can't give anymore. It's over. I, I don't have the resources. I don't have the energy. But with Hashem, we say, Kilo Samu Chasadecha, right? Your, your, your Chesed is never exhausted. And that's why we hope to you always, right? The Talmud says, even when the sword is at your throat, you're not allowed to give up from hoping for Hashem to save you. We're talking physically, we're talking emotionally, we're talking spiritually. Don't give up because Yeshua Hashem Keheref Ayan. The salvation of Hashem can come in the blink of an eye. Okay, Be'al Kulam. This prophet continues. By the way, when you're in Shul and the Chazan's repeating the Shemona Esrei, you say the shaded box. For those of you who don't know, you say the Modima Nafulaf on the left side of your page, together with the rest of the congregation quietly, 
while the chazan is reciting the regular. Okay, the end of this prayer doesn't end until it goes on. It goes, kulam, and for everything, we're going to praise you forever for all of these things, all of this chasadim that you give us. And all of our life, everything alive is, is going to acknowledge you. So two stories here. Um, so Rabbi Yisrael Salanter tells a story about how he was once in a very fancy restaurant in Paris, and he ordered a glass of water. I mean, he asked for a glass of water, and of course, they charged him. And he said they charged him this exorbitant fee of 40 francs. And he realized that, you know, the reason that they charge is because he was paying for the ambience ambiance, whatever. It's a French story. I said, say it right. I took French for, for some reason, right? Not just to read the cereal boxes. Okay. Um, so, you know, he said, I'm paying for the chandeliers. I'm paying for the beautiful furniture. And he said, it gave him a chiddish. He said, now we understood why when we take a glass of water, we say the bracha, shehakol bivaro. Right, which means through whose word everything came to be. That means including the surroundings around me. So I'm not just thanking Hashem for the cup of water, but perhaps for the cup, perhaps for what what's around. It's it, it you know don't take it for granted all of the things that are around you. Okay, the all the living will praise you. So the word chayim, the Torah, the Talmud tells us can be correspond to four categories of danger, right? Where we bench Gomel. So there's a special thanks there. So it spells the word Chayim. The first is Chivush, meaning that you were released from jail or captivity. You say an extra great gratitude to Hashem for that. The second one is the Yud, which stands for Yesurim, suffering and sickness that you came through. The third is yam. When a person goes on a sea voyage and they make it to the other side. And the last one is midbar, the mem and chayim, if you survive the desert. And then it says, we want to praise your name in truth. What does that mean? It means we're not just saying thank you to butter you up. We're not just saying thank you because we want stuff, right? We're saying it sincerely, not just because we want something from you. And also, the more we recognize and acknowledge Hashem as our helper, the more he becomes our salvation. The more we completely and utterly give up hope in terms of our own efforts, the more we allow Hashem to do what he can do. This is one aspect of seeing Yeshua's. And of course, we have to thank Hashem, but we always have to thank the people in our lives who are the shlichim of Hashem. In the Talmud, it says, even though the wine belongs to the host, we thank the butler who serves it. Even though we know Hashem is the source of everything, 
we express gratitude to the human emissaries. Okay, we're going to continue with the bracha of Sim Shalom. And Sim Shalom, which is bracha 19, is a bracha all about peace, right? Hashem established peace, goodness, blessing, graciousness, kindness, and compassion upon us and upon all your people, Israel. Bless us, our Father, all of us as one, with the light of your countenance, for with the light of your countenance you gave us. Um, Hashem, our God, the Torah of life, Torah Chaim, and a love of doing kindness, righteousness, blessing, compassion, life, and peace. May it be good in your eyes to bless your people, Israel, in every season and every hour with your peace. Baruch Hashem, Yisrael, Bashalom. Blessed are you, Hashem, who blesses his people, Israel, with peace. So, um, peace is the ultimate blessing. Shalom is the ultimate blessing. It says, without peace, that nothing has permanence. Peace is the kli, the vessel that contains everything. It's the container that holds all blessings. What is peace? What do we mean when we say the word shalom? What do we mean when the, the word shalom comes from shalem, right? Completion, harmony. So peace is not just the absence of war. Any more than darkness is necessarily the absence of light, right? We know we say... Uh, Yotzer or uvorei choshech, that choshech was actually a creation of God's, not just the absence of light, but God created darkness, okay? It's a creation in and of itself. So too, peace is not just the absence of war, but rather it's the harmony between conflicting forces. It's the harmony between, again, what, what I spoke about at the beginning, of these opposites, this duality in life, this thanking Hashem for the bad and for the good. How can I do that? It doesn't make sense. Okay, but there's a certain peace. Now, how does this peace express itself? So it expresses itself within man as the proper balance between one's body and one's soul. Walking that balanced path where you give to the needs of your body what it needs in order to be happy, in order to calm the animal part of you down, throw it a bone, give it some good food on Shabbos, you know, give it a few luxuries here and there if that's what you need, if that's what you grew up with, if that's good for you. But realize that your soul, you're doing all of it so that your soul can be in a place where it can continuously grow. Why else did Hashem give the Jews in the Midbar, give the B'nais on the Midbar, everything they needed materially? And they hated it. Why did they hate it? Because now the only thing they had to do was learn Torah and grow spiritually. And they couldn't stand the pressure. They wanted life to be normal. And if all of our material needs were taken care of completely and absolutely, what we're expected to be doing is to be devoting more time to Torah learning, more time to spiritual growth. So yes, we have to give the body what it needs. The body's the vehicle. We have to fill it with gas. We have to give it its nourishment. But we have to 
work all our lives to find the balance, to let the spiritual part of us lead. Our body is just the wheels. I have a body. I am a soul. Again, I have a body. I am a soul. When you can connect to yourself in that way, you're getting closer to the understanding of finding the proper balance. Okay. Within the universe, it's the harmony between infinite elements, whatever that means. And in the world itself, it's the harmony, again, sort of like the body and soul between the holy and the mundane. And what happens is when we sin, when we are out of balance within ourselves, we disrupt the balance of the universe. We disrupt the balance of the world. Just like, you know, Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, when we talk about the scales being equal, totally balanced, totally, you know, in harmony. And we're supposed to say, and I, my next act can tip the scale either way. So too, within each of ourselves, when we disrupt the harmony within us, we disrupt the balance, right? And Baruch Hashem, we have tshuva. That's why Hashem created tshuva before he created human beings, because it's inevitable. It's a work in progress. It's not an easy thing, but the Torah is Torah Chayim. It's instructions for living. It's teaching us how to, how to be able to find that balance, how to be able to walk that tightrope. Kol ha'olam gesher tsar me'od, right? But keep your eyes on the ball. You won't be afraid. And whatever's happening around you or in your life that is perfect or imperfect, it doesn't matter. I've got my eye on the ball. It's about my life. I came in this world alone. I go out this world alone. I came in this world with nothing. I go out with nothing. The only thing I take with me is the spiritual work that I did. Regardless of whether the props on my set were pleasant or unpleasant. And nobody gets through life, as the Masila Sharm Yasharim says, 70, 80 years without a lot of unpleasant and painful. Nobody gets through this world without some of that. Some of us more, some of us less, depending on the tikkun of our particular neshama, the work that we need to do, not just for ourselves and our own lives, but we're correcting everything that came before us, okay? Our lives are a tikkun for everybody who came before us. We're correcting what was uncorrected before. And whatever we work, whatever work we, we accomplish, we pass that on in our spiritual genes. And that's all that matters. The props on your particular set, the, uh, you know, the play that is playing in your life that you are an actor in, that's made specifically for you, but keep your eye on the ball. Okay, when human beings behave in a corrupt way, when we are imbalanced, we affect the entire world. Where do we see this in the story of Noah, right? It says that human beings were corrupt and it corrupted the animal world, right? Animals started mating with other animals that wasn't natural, that wasn't normal. It corrupted the plant world because again, the domain, Tzomeach, Chai, and Medaber 
We are at the top of the totem pole. Whatever we do affects everything under us, physically even, the world around us. I mean, we know that man pollutes the world. There's more pollution in the world. But even spiritually, our spiritual deeds affect the world and the harmony of the world around us. So Shalom refers to perfection of character traits. If there's negative meadows, all the blessings are spoiled, right? You can have everything. Everything can be perfect in your world. You've got health. You've got wealth. Your kids are married. You know, you don't have any worries. You don't have, and you can spoil everything because of difficulty with anger, difficulty with criticism and patience. Um, not forgiving other people, your own living with yourself. What's a cloud makes opaque all of those blessings in your life. Rav Salanter, Rabbi Yisrael Salanter, who was the leader of the Muslim movement, which drew people's attention to the fact that Torah learning without character development is not enough. You need to also focus, even though Torah, it's true, makes you just the learning of it, not, is only, not just meant to make you smarter. It's metaphysical. It's not like, you know, the more math I learn, the smarter I am in math. When a person learns Torah, it has a metaphysical effect on them. Even if they're not trying to be better, it's going to change you as long as you're not a complete Russia. It's supposed to change you, right? And it does because it has a metaphysical effect. So Rabbi Yisrael Salanter was once told by some other Rosh Hashiva who was against the Musser movement, your students are spending too much time with Musser. They should be learning Gemara, right? Which is the main bread of a, a boy's learning, a man's learning. Rabbi Yisrael Salanter answered him by explaining the law that if you have two halas, and one is large, but there's a little piece of it missing. And there's another one that's very small, but it's intact. We take the wholeness, we take the smaller one, takes precedence over the larger, more magnificent looking one. In other words, over scholastic achievement. We take the person who's got shlemus, who's whole, the chala that's whole, then the chala that looks Again, maybe, you know, which, which Rabbi Salanter um, likened to scholastic achievement or, you know, being a great Talmud Chacham, but not having the refinement of the Midos that are meant to go together with that. So true peace is peace of mind. And true peace is a person who has a positive attitude. The life's cruelest blows cannot crush him. So peace of mind, the Rosh said, is... If things are not as you want them to be, want them to be as they are. Somebody said, happiness is wanting what you have, not having what you want. Okay? Embracing your package, wanting what you have. Or Viktor Frankl, Holocaust survivor that I quoted in a couple of classes, he says, if you're unable to ch change the situation, then it means you have no choice but to let the situation change you. And Rabbi Mordechai of Lechavitz said, accept what is beyond your control. And I want to give you a few examples of that that happened to me 
this Shabbos, Baruch Hashem in Florida, the people are very, very friendly at the young Israel of, um, I shouldn't advertise, but at the young Israel of Surfside. So a few fun, fun things happened this Shabbos. One is that we're staying in this little hotel where the rabbi and Rebetzin, who are trying out to be the new rabbi of this particular shul, are staying and my somebody thought my husband was the guy trying out right they said rabbi you know one of the congregants there because they figured they knew that the real rabbi was staying here and we are too so my husband said no 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 i'm at the end of my career your rabbi that's coming is at the beginning of his career that was number one but anyway um so what was I saying? Oh, so first of all, the idea of Sim Shalom that I wanted to say is how wonderful it is to be part of the tribe, because when you go to a shul that's friendly, and, and the truth is, is they have every right not to be friendly, as somebody mentioned, because there's always tourists here, there's always people coming in. You think it'd be like, you know, they used to say about kibbutz nakim, like they don't want to talk to you anymore because you're always leaving. You know, you come as a volunteer. They don't want to make friends with you after a few years. They figure out it's not worth it. There's too much heartbreak. So anyway, the point is, is though they're still friendly. And we were even invited for lunch on Friday night. Um, we didn't realize that the place we were invited for lunch was where this rabbi and Rebetzin were going. And it was, you know, part of his proba. And it was with a whole group of people, which was really, really nice. And um we, we decided we'd go there instead of have potato salad and cold chicken from the local whatever. And um, anyway, so just the fact of being part of the Jewish people, being invited, um, meeting new people. Um, so we went there and at the lunch table, we heard, well, in Shul, I heard a few wonderful stories uh, regarding the Parsha and this idea of acceptance. So that's where I wanna go to right now. Um, so, so acceptance, Gamzu Latova, which we started with, which is part of the work of being grateful. So the rabbi was talking about the Parsha, and as you all know, the Parsha talks about Tzara'as, and it talks about what happened to people when they spoke Lashon Hara, or just in general, how sometimes their houses would get a nega a plague on it. And this nega actually was sometimes very beneficial because the place that the wall had this plague was the place where the Kanani, who lived in Israel before the Jews came in, had hidden all their treasures. And they were behind the wall. And God, even though it appeared bad, that a person was like, oh my gosh, what's happening to my house? And they had to take everything out of their house. And it was very upsetting. The truth was that in the end, they found this tremendous treasure in that place where the nega was. And God was simply calling attention to it so he would be able to give them the goods. So the rabbi was explaining that, you know, very often what we see as a nega, what we see as a terrible thing or a plague if we rearrange the letters of the word nega, we get the word oneg, right? We talk about oneg Shabbos. Oneg means pleasure. It's something good. And the vort on this thing is that when you change nega to oneg, you've changed the placement of the letter ayin. And so the vort is, it all depends where your eyes are. 
where, how you see things, whether you see things as nega, as terrible, or you try to find the onen, you try to find the good, you, 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 you put the eye in at the beginning. There's also a saying in Mishle, it says, that the wise person, his eyes are in his head. What does that mean? It means he's not impulsive. He doesn't go with his desires. His eyes are in his head. He uses his brain and his mind before reacting, before thinking. But the rabbi put another spin on it. It says, that the hacham always puts the ayin first, the ayin in oneg. He always puts that first uh, in terms of oneg and not nega. Okay, so I just want to tell you a few stories. Um, one that came up at the Shabbos table that I was at and one that the rabbi told in Shul to demonstrate this idea of it all depends how you look at things and how you need to find the good even in situations that appear as if there is no good. You have to become a connoisseur of finding what's good in the situation. And if you can't, then the next step again, together with this, you know, together with that is acceptance. You can't change the situation. So as Viktor Frankl said, then the situation is coming to change you. And the simple way that it might change you is just by bowing your head and accepting. You know, I'm here in Florida. It's a good mashal for Florida that if a huge wave comes in the ocean and you insist on standing straight while it's coming behind your head, well, it can break your neck. But if you're able to bow your head ever so gently, the wave will just, right? Go over you. Okay. Story, true story. So the rabbi said he has a friend. He's now in Houston, I believe. They're a rabbi and rabbis in Houston. His wife's from Toronto. She's Turin. She's from Clanton Park. Her husband, her father was Rabbi Turin. So we had a little Jewish geography, Toronto, etc. And, you know, we were like the wise rabbi and rabbis and giving them like, she, you know, I'd wink at her. You're doing good. You're doing good. You know, good job. Phew, so glad I'm not at this stage of my life anymore. Wow, you know, it's hard. Like, you have to really go jump through a million hoops while they're here. I told them my favorite story of my husband's is he once had a proba in St. Louis or somewhere. I didn't go with him. He said, that's why he didn't get the job. Probably true. Anyway, so he went to St. Louis and he came back and I said, so how was it? How did you do? He said, you know what? It was, I, it was really good. I was doing really well until the swimsuit competition. That was it, you know? You got to admit that is funny, okay? But I'm telling you, that's what it's, I said to them, it's like running for president of the United States, okay? It's like, it's like, they're, okay. Anyway, story, true story. So a guy, one of his friends who was from Houston, he had to fundraise, a rabbi. So he went to New York and somebody told him to go to this very wealthy guy in the five towns. We're going to call him Stephen Schwartzbaum. And he went to Stephen and he said to him, you know, I want to build a huge Torah center in Houston and I'd love to put your name on it. So the Stephen Schwartzbaum said, you know what, I, I, it's wonderful, it's a great idea, but I have to tell you that just yesterday somebody came to me from Hatzalah, 
but sell of the five towns. And they asked me for a very big donation for an ambulance, et cetera. And he said, so I'm asking you, Rabbi, where do my funds belong? Do they belong way over there in Houston? Or do they belong saving lives in my neighborhood? So the rabbi couldn't argue with him. And he said, yeah, you're right. You probably need to put the money here. Okay, but of course he was disappointed. He didn't go back with any kind of huge donation, which he was hoping to get. And that's the story. Meanwhile, about a year later, this rabbi is uh, left Houston. He's visiting that area of New York. He's visiting his family and they're driving around in their car. And all of a sudden he says their four-year-old in the backseat is getting all whiny and fussy and fidgety. And his wife passes the kid back a chocolate bar. And the kid quiets down a little bit, but not much. And when she looks back, she notices the kid has a little rash on, 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 on his cheek. And, you know, okay, big deal, little rash. But then as the minutes go by and the kid's not settling down, they notice that the rash is spreading across the face to the other side of the cheek. And then it's developing even more and the kid's having trouble breathing. So, of course, they immediately call Hatsala. And Hatsala arrives in 42 seconds, 48 seconds, sorry, 48 seconds and rescues their kid and basically saves this kid's life. And the rabbi, of course, can't help but notice that when he looks up on the truck, the Hatsala ambulance has come to save his children. It says, given in donation by Stephen Schwartzbaum, right? So the same man who decided to give his funds to Hatsala ended up saving this rabbi's child's life. Beautiful story. Obviously, a Gamzu Latova probably was very disappointed at the time. But of course, we never know Hashem's plans. Tell you another story that just came up when we were there for lunch. So it turns out that this uh, family that invited us, another reason they invited us is because their daughter, uh, their last daughter to get married, is dating a Toronto boy. And the Toronto boy was there. And funnily enough, he works for UJA. I don't want to say too much, but my husband had actually been talking to him the week before we came here about some UJA Vadharabanam matter in the community to do with COVID. And anyway, so we find he's there. He's been living here for months and they've been dating and they look like they're married already. They look like they're engaged, but they're not. And it's very, very frustrating what happened is the mother came over to me and, you know, the two of them were sitting and, and this is a relationship that's been going on for a while, um, first on Zoom and then in other ways. But the point is, is um, she said to me, you know, it's, I said, wow, like they're not even engaged yet. And she said, no, they can't get engaged. They can't get engaged because she can't meet his parents. They're in Toronto and they're like real, like, they don't come out of their house. I said, well, she's met them on Zoom and everything, right? And she, she said, yeah, but that's not good enough. I mean, I don't expect them to, to go ahead with this for meeting her on Zoom. They want to meet her. And, you know, they can't get engaged until they do. So I said, wow, that's, that's hard. And, 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 and anyway, the thing that I was so admirous about is she... Again, the acceptance. She said, you know what? It's hard, but I can't change the situation. I don't want to start being pushy and 
with the Toronto people, right? We love him. We don't want anything to happen that's negative. And we don't want to make them feel uncomfortable. Like, well, why can't you just come here? Like, why can't you get your shots? Or, you know, and, and I said, well, what about her going to Toronto and visiting? She said, she can't get in. Toronto won't let her in. And I said, well, she works for High Lifeline. Maybe High Lifeline could write a little letter saying they need her for something. Like in the, you know, in the uh, help of trying to get this couple married. In the meantime, she said, oh, that's an idea, but I don't know. But anyway, the point is this, that she said, you know what? There's a reason why Hashem made it like this. It must be that they need more time, that, you know, as much as it looks like, come on already, like, can't we just seal this deal? For whatever reason, Hashem wants them to have more time together. He wants things to, this process is not over yet. And she said, and you know what? I'm good with it. I'm good with it. And I just tell myself, Hashem is running the show. There's nothing I can do with, about it. And I have to be totally accepting. And I said to her, wow, that's really incredible that you are totally accepting. There was actually one other guest at the table who was a woman in her 70 years old, a real mover and shaker type of Jewish lady. I told her she reminded me of Bette Midler. <laughs> she said, I don't know if that's a compliment. No, I like her voice, she said. Anyway, but she had a lot of energy. Anyway, she was a Balchuva, like probably in her 60s, okay? And um, she told a story too, which didn't have a happy ending, which was kind of funny, but it was a real story of acceptance. She said that she was asked to give a Devar Torah. This is when she still belonged to her conservative shul in the merit of her, hundred, her aunt who was turning 100. So she was very nervous about doing it. And she was spending the whole day. She had sarum out all over the, the house. She was busy working on that. And at the very same time, she said that she was working on this Devar Torah. That day, she had asked this bacher, probably from Lubavitch, right, to come and kosher her kitchen. She had decided, you know, she's going to become kosher. And this bacher came to kosher her kitchen. And obviously she lives in a beautiful place and she's got, she's busy learning Torah while he's kushering her kitchen. And she's feeling like she is at the top of her game. Okay. She can't get any higher. And she said, he leaves. And of course he's put towels down everywhere and she picks up the towels and her gorgeous floor, I guess it was wooden floor is completely discolored. It's totally ruined. And she said in the backboard of her kitchen, which was made out of metal, is completely warped. There was $25,000 worth of damage. Okay. So then she goes on, you know, about insurance and this and that. But the point is, is like, I was talking to my husband about it. I said, so what was the like, what was the happy ending of that story? Like, why did she tell that story? Because she was saying it in terms of, you know, you could either see nega, you could see plague, catastrophe, this is terrible, or you can see one. And she said that she, this was an incredible aha moment for her. This was really her moving the iron to the front of the word. 
because she said, I felt like I was so at the top of my game. I was, you know, making this Devar Torah, and it was actually on this week's Parsha, this last week, Tazria Mitzora, okay, which was also relevant. And she said, and my kitchen was totally destroyed while I was doing a mitzvah. So what would a normal person say? They'd say, Hashem, this is the reward. This is the reward for my kashri, my kitchen. She didn't even go there. She said, I just knew that this can't be bad because how could this be bad? I'm kashring my kitchen. I'm learning Torah. I'm at the top of my game here. And she said, and for some reason, I just never, she never got the money back. I think she ended up having to, she sold the apartment and took a, like less, she lost out of it. But she said that for some reason that it was almost like Hashem was holding her. She had total acceptance seeing this in a good way because she told herself, there is no way this could be bad because everything I'm doing is good. There's no way. And, and anyway, we were all extremely inspired by that story too, because, and, and, you know, I said to myself, should I even tell that story? Like she's supposed to say, and at the end, I got a bigger apartment and it was more beautiful. And the insurance company gave me 50,000 instead of 25,000. And wow, Hashem really loves me. And look how he rewards me for all the mitzvahs that I do. I said, like, should I even tell this story? Like, what was the point of that story? And my husband said, I think that was the point. The point was that it didn't, it wasn't a happy ending. It, it, it wasn't one of those feel good stories. The point was, is like, wow, while you were going through it, you were able to say, this can't be bad. This just can't be bad. There's no way. And she said, this was one of the biggest moving forward aha moments for her that I guess she's been able to hold on to in many different situations going forward. Okay, ladies, I'm over time. And uh, he <laughs> says, leave them wanting more. I said, I can't, I just, you know. <laughs> but anyway, I hope that you enjoyed. I wish you were here with me. I don't know whether I'm ever coming home. That's the truth. I'm scared. I told my husband, you can go home and I'll just stay in South Fallsburg or, you know, I'll get us a bungalow for the summer in the Catskills next to Renee. Where's Renee out there? You know, and, and you, just come, you just come and visit me every so often. I think maybe that's the new idea. Um, but I won't be able to get my second shot. That's the problem. It's okay. Anyway, thank you for listening. Mirza Shem. Did I stop the recording? Oh my goodness. Hope you enjoyed this class. To sponsor a future class or for a complimentary and completely confidential coaching session with me as I support you in reaching your goals and actualizing your true potential, please email me at DeborahVale at yahoo.ca. That's Deborah, D-E-V-O-R-A-H. Vale, V-A-L-E, at yahoo.ca.